All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and your spirit that speaks to us and teaches us and guides us in all things. Lord, we know that in this life there will be constant battles, constant struggles, constant spiritual warfare taking place. But we also know, Lord, that you knew us in our mother's womb, that you shaped us together, that you called us to this time and place. Lord, we think about the phrase, the call, Lord, that perhaps for such a time as this, that we were brought to this time. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to take on the mindset, Lord, that we have victory in you. We're not victims, but we can overcome every battle because you are living in us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the the reality is that as men, every single one of us are going to face battles. We're going to be talking about some of those battles throughout this month. And one of the, the things that, that I, I struggle with personally is that every time I face a battle, maybe you're like this too, every time I face a battle, I'm surprised that I'm facing another battle, right? Anybody ever, you feel like that? Like, we should know from experience that it's coming, but every time we get hit with a battle, we're like, well, where did this come from? And we start to rehearse of like, you know, what happened and how we got here and, and why is God allowing this to happen to me and, and all those questions. And by the way, you know, that question of why, anybody ever ask why? Like you go through a hard season, uh, you, you, there's a tragedy, there's an illness, something go, doesn't go your way and we're like automatically like, God, why? Well, I've learned in life that really that's an unanswerable question. For most situations and most circumstances and most events, at least on this side of heaven, we're not really ever going to know why. And so I begin to ask myself, like, is that a question that I need to continue to ask? And the Lord, at some point, I don't even remember when it was along the way, but the Lord gave me a different question to ask in that season. And rather than asking why, he said, why don't you ask what? God what are you doing in the midst of this? God, what would you have me to do next? God, what is it that I need to learn or hear from you in the midst of this? When we can't ask why, at least we can't answer why, we can ask, Lord, what? But we're going to face battles, and God is calling us to engage in those battles, but he's not asking us to engage in them on our own strength, on our own willpower, on our own intelligence, He's asking us in that season to lean into him. And 1 John 4, 4 tells us that the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Now, it doesn't say, hey, your own effort is greater than the one in the, in, who's in the world, or your intellect is greater, or your willpower is greater, or your morality is greater. He says the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And we need to lean into the one who is in us, the Holy Spirit sent to us by Christ when we have confession of faith, when we trust Jesus as Lord, 
we get the gift of this Holy Spirit that we need to lean into. And I think sometimes we don't lean into that until we're completely desperate, until we've tried everything else, until it's completely falling apart, and we, we really get a lot of unnecessary pain that we wouldn't have to walk through. Now, there's necessary pain in life. There's pain that even God sends for his purposes in our life. But, but a lot of us experience unnecessary pain because we don't lean into the one who's in us. So we're going to talk about these battles, and the battle we're going to start off with this morning is one that, unfortunately, I know all too personally, and that's the battle of anxiety and depression. Now, the, the problem with anxiety and depression, chronic stress, is that it's one of those illnesses that you don't necessarily see or know that somebody battles. You might have somebody you work with. You might have somebody in your family. There might be somebody at your table who battles chronic anxiety and depression, and you would never know it. You know, we think about those celebrities that they take their life or, or people that, you know, we work with or know in the community that take their life. And we're like, well, they're such a happy person. And we never know the hidden battle underneath. And so... It's one that is hard to diagnose, but it's one that many men face. Anxiety, depression, chronic stress. So I want to start off with just defining what we're talking about. Because anxiety and depression are two different things. We, we sometimes lump them together, but they're not the same thing. And so in the simplest definition that I can give is that anxiety is a chronic, uncontrollable fear and depression is a chronic, uncontrollable sadness. And they sometimes impact us the same way, but two different things. But we approach them in the same way. Now, both of them can be real. Uh, both of them can have a powerful impact. They, they might be physical. It might be a chemical problem in the brain. They might be uh, emotional. It might be spiritual. But it can be incredibly real, and it must be dealt with. Now, here's the root of what we're going to talk about as we deal with it. What, whatever the source of it, the way that we deal with it is that we have to root ourselves in truth. And there's a reality that not just sometimes, but perhaps most of the time, feelings and truth can be at odds with one another. And when they're at odds with one another, we have got to lean into truth. So I've battled anxiety since uh, I was a teenager. And many, many times loving good people will try to help me, you know, to deal with the anxiety. And they'll say, well, like, you, you know, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, God's got that. You know, you, you know reality. And I, and I will tell them, if it were that simple... To just lean into, well, I know that. Do you think that I would be in this place? <laughs> and so it's not just a, I'm not being flippant about this when I say we root ourselves in truth. I mean it has to be an almost desperate pursuit of truth. That consistently and constantly and desperately I'm calling out to God for truth, reminding myself of truth, and leaning into that truth. So I'll give you an example. 
Um, do you guys remember a couple of years ago when we had the single-digit temperatures and the, the ice that hit DeSoto County and everybody was afraid it was going to be the next great ice storm of Memphis? You know, those of you who were here the first go-around, you, you had PTSD and, and you're thinking about that ice storm again. Well, the parking lot out here froze over. And we had, we brought out uh, some equipment, some guys in the church that work in construction, trying to clear the parking lot, and they burned out the motor on the tractor that they were using, trying to clear it. And so, like, we weren't able to do it. And so I'm sitting at home on Saturday night, and, you know, I'm, I'm a little frustrated. I prepared a sermon, and, and you never want to miss a Sunday, and we'd had to cancel that next day, and we had, were potentially going to have to cancel the next Sunday, and I was just trying not to let my mind roll uh, of all the implications of that. Well, people are going to get used to not coming or, you know, we're, we're losing a, a Sunday of giving or like all the kind of things. And I finally kind of like settled my mind and a, a pickup truck flies by my house going way too fast in normal circumstances. But the ice is, you know, the roads are all icy and they're, they're flying by. And I'm thinking like, what in the world is that guy doing? He's going to end up in the ditch. He's going to end up in somebody's yard. And then I started thinking about other people out on the roads that maybe had to be out on the roads and, and what was going on there. And then I thought, well, what if somebody tries to go to the church and, and they don't, and like my mind began to spin. Now in that moment, I knew what was reasonable what was true, the, the things that were running through my mind were not reality. But knowing that and flipping that switch off are two different things. And so you've, we've got to, if you yourself or you know somebody in your world that battles anxiety or depression, please don't tell them to just not worry about it. Don't tell yourself to just not worry about it. It needs to be a, a desperate pursuit of what is true. And whether we might need to get somebody to help walk with us in that, or maybe you need to help walk with somebody in that to live into truth. Romans 12, 1 and 2 remind us of that. It tells us to give our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And that we renew our minds. We're not conformed to the world, but we renew our minds through the transformation of the way we think. Or Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. He tells us that we take every captive, every thought captive for Christ. Just before that, he says that we don't wage war as the, the world wages war, but we have the power to demolish strongholds. And anxiety and depression is absolutely a stronghold that keeps many men from the heart of God, from the purposes of God that we talked about in earlier Thursdays. We can demolish strongholds with the way we think, capturing every thought captive for Christ. And so it's this, this desperate pursuit of truth. I'm thinking about Proverbs 3, 5. It tells us what? Don't lean on your own understanding but follow in God's ways. Or Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can trust it? It's wicked. 
And I hear people all the time say, just follow your heart. And I'm thinking, no, don't follow your heart. That is the dumbest thing that you could ever do. Many of us would be in desperate, terrible situations if we had followed our heart. We've got to replace it with truth, that, that feelings don't always equal truth. Or you can say it this way, that there are many, many times where I've got to lean into faith over feelings. So I thought about one individual in Scripture that, that battled anxiety and depression, and he was actually a prophet, a very powerful prophet. And he appears in Second, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, and it's Elijah. And this story begins right after Elijah has kind of reached the pinnacle of his life in ministry. He's, he's had this big showdown with these false prophets of Baal, and He's trying to show them who the real God is, and so they, they build this, uh, this fire. They, they digs a, a moat around it, a, this ditch around it, and fills it with all kinds of water, and he douses the wood with fire. And then he says, okay, let whoever's God is the real God is going to strike this wood and, and set it on fire, and they're waiting for Baal to show up, and, and Elijah's even having fun with it. He's like, you know, maybe your God's like sleeping, maybe he's in the bathroom, maybe you know, he's hard of hearing, maybe he's busy. And then Yahweh shows up and he sets fire to it. And then Elijah kind of goes like Rambo and like kills all of these false prophets of Baal. And it's this pinnacle moment of his ministry and his life. And immediately after that, he's running away from Queen Jezebel, feeling completely isolated completely defeated, completely alone. And he says to God, you know what? Why don't you just kill me? It would be better off if I just weren't here. Now, again, Elijah is sitting in a moment where feelings don't equal truth. He had just had the pinnacle of his life and ministry. He had just seen God show up in a manifest way that many of us may never experience. And the very next breath, he's thinking, well, I'm a failure, and I'm all alone. And so we, we pick up in verse 4. I'm going to read verses 4 through 8. It says, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and, and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So Elijah finds him in a, cell, in, a, in a place where the circumstances don't line up with what he's feeling. Right? This is why if you have a friend or you yourself are battling anxiety and depression, it does not help to just say, don't worry about that. Because it's, not, it's often not really about the circumstances at all. 
And we are overwhelmed by this feeling of dread, a feeling if it's anxiety, a feeling of fear, if it's depression, a feeling of sadness, that really, it, just like the, the opposite, the gift of joy is not dependent on circumstances, this battle of anxiety and depression is often not dependent on the circumstances. And it may very well be a spiritual battle that we're engaging in. But he's found himself in a situation that doesn't match the circumstances, and he's feeling powerless. He's feeling abandoned. He's feeling isolated, and he gives up. And I want you to notice what God does. God doesn't immediately hit him with answers, does he? Uh, he, he doesn't console Elijah. He doesn't come and say, oh, Elijah, it's okay. I'm going to take care of you. Elijah, look at what you did, right? Like, you're so gifted, Elijah. Everybody loves you. You, you don't have, you're, everything's, God doesn't do any of that. What does God do? God gives him sustenance for that moment. And a lot of us as men, and I may have said this before, when, I, when I'm sitting with the man walking through a battle, often the, the first and dominant phrase that comes from him is, well, just tell me what to do. Just give me the answers. I, I just need to know what to do to fix the situation. The problem with that is that while we're in that moment, even if we had the answers, many of us would not be able to apply it. And when you're sitting in this place where feelings don't match truth, even if we had the truth, even if we had the answers, most of us would not be able to apply it to our lives. And so God doesn't start there. He says, I just need to give you sustenance. Now, how does God do that? Well, sometimes God will, he'll show up with just his manifest presence and will be overwhelmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Or he will send somebody to us to just be, be with us. Or he'll remind us of his goodness and his faithfulness. Or maybe he'll just give us an opportunity to take a nap or to take a walk or have a good meal. What, what he provides for us in the moment before he brings the answers. And so he brings this food and water to Elijah and says, eat and drink for you've got a journey. Because the journey, there, it is a journey from feelings to truth. You don't just flip a switch. And so he gives him what he needs for this journey. And, but then he sends him on his way. And we pick up in verse 9. It says, there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So Elijah thinks he's informing God of the circumstance. God, you may not have been paying attention. You may not be aware of what's going on with your people. So let me bring you up to date on what's happening. You know, I shared the other Sunday, when we pray, we're not informing God, we're involving God. And Elijah thinks he needs to bring God up to date as if God didn't know. And the Lord God said in verse 11, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. 
When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. It sounds like he's rehearsed this. He's bringing it to God again. Then the Lord said to him, Now I finally get the answer. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of er over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of over, over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So God brings a fire, brings an earthquake, but he's not in, the, in, in either one of those, right? You see, God will not compete with the noise. God refuses to compete with the noise. So what do we have to do? We have to silence the noise. And a lot of times, if you or somebody in your world is battling anxiety or depression, we self-medicate with busyness. Because as long as I'm busy, as long as the calendar is full, as long as I'm checking things off the to-do list, then I don't have to live in this space, this mental uh, anxiety, depression, this, this warfare that's taking place. But God would say to us, I need you to step into it. I need you to silence the noise and step into it. And then finally, Elijah hears God in the whisper. He's, he's able to silence the noise. He immediately knows it's God. There's a weight to God's voice. After you walk with Jesus long enough, you begin to understand the weight of what God says versus the, the, the flippancy of our own thoughts. And I don't, I don't know about you, but, you know, for me, my, my thoughts can be all over the map. But when God speaks, there's a weight to it. And it doesn't shout, doesn't compete with other voices. It's, it's quiet, but there's a heaviness to it. And Elijah, he knows it, and he goes out and he stands before the Lord. And then and only then, when he silences the noise, when he makes himself available, he's desperate for God, does God finally speak? And I love what God says to Elijah. He gives him a purpose. He gives him a, an action. Then he says, you, everything that you're, you're building this, this feeling on, it's false. You think that I've abandoned you. I haven't. I have a plan. You think that you failed. You haven't. It's only the setup for what I'm about to do. And you think that you're alone. But Elijah, I have 7,000. You think that you're the only one. You think you've done something special. <laughs> Elijah, there's 7,000 who have not bent their knee to Baal. And he pulls Elijah back in. 
And so here we see Elijah walking through the process to be desperate for God, to be still before God, to wait for God, to listen to God, and then to choose God's truth over the feelings. But there's one thing that we cannot miss as we process, like what does it look like for us to choose faith over feelings, is that every time, all the time, absolutely requires action. You cannot choose faith over feelings and continue to sit in your feelings. And so what I've had to learn in my own life is that even while I still might feel the feelings, I've got to step in faith. And what does God say to Elijah? Elijah, get up, go back the way you came, and anoint these kings. He does not say, Elijah, get over it. He does not say, Elijah, you feel better, it's okay. He does not say, Elijah, you know, you're being ridiculous. He doesn't even address the feelings. He just says, go. And that's often what God will do with us. Especially those of us who battle anxiety and depression. The answer is not to change the feelings. The answer is to act on faith. You know, I think about Paul. He, he wrestled with God, and, and we had this thorn in the flesh, and we're not sure what that thorn in the flesh is. All kinds of people speculate. But I'm so grateful that, that this is in Scripture, that God said, I'm not going to change that. Because what? My grace is sufficient. So get back to the work. You know, many, many times in my world, I've prayed to God, would you just take this away? God, I don't want to be battling anxiety constantly. I don't, I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night. God, I don't want to wrestle with this. And yet, at least for me, God has said, I'm not going to take this away. But get up and get back to work. And that's what we have to do. And, and those of us that we walk with, we got to remind them that the feelings may not change, but you've got to act on faith. So what's the action that you might need to take? Well, there's, there's a few. Maybe you just need to, to start where you fall before God. And you recognize the situation in your end. And, and you stop trying to ignore it. You stop trying to bury it. You stop trying to change it on your own. And you get desperate for God. Maybe the next step for you or for a friend is to reach out for help. You know, one of the, the dangers of Anxiety and depression is that it isolates. It sets you apart. It puts you in your own mind. Uh, some of the seemingly happiest people surrounded by crowds of folks can be in their own head and, and feel completely alone. Right? It, it has nothing to do with proximity to other people. It's about vulnerability to other people. And so one of the first things we might have to do or you might have to encourage a friend is to be vulnerable and to say, I'm struggling. Would you walk with me? Maybe the next step is for you is to act on truth, to stop waiting for your feelings to change and realize I've got to act on faith, which, by the way, is the definition of faith. Right? Faith is not certainty. Faith is not, well, I know how this is going to work out. Uh, our faith is not, well, God's already proven it to me. 
Faith, by definition, is stepping into the unknown, the uncertain, the, un, you know, the, the, the shaky ground, knowing that God is on the other side. Maybe it's just to bring it to the Lord. You know, maybe for you it's a mind shift that you don't need to inform God about your situation. You need to involve God about your situation. And let God be in the midst of it. So there, there may be one or two of you or a few of you who, who walk this battle as well. Maybe there's nobody here, but, but every one of us, I guarantee you, are touched by this battle in some way. Maybe a family member, a friend, a coworker. And it's a very real battle. And it's a battle that we don't overcome on our own. It's not a mental hurdle. It is, it's one in which we, we desperately need the work of God. And so if, if, if this is not something you're familiar with, my call to you is just don't be flipping about it. <laughs> you know, and, and it may be a situation where a person needs to get, take medication. They need to have counseling. They need to have therapy. But they also need God, and they also need you. And so don't brush it off. Don't just ignore it. I say, Lord, what, what can I do to be available to this person? Or if it's you, like, Lord, what, what is it you're calling me to hear the small whisper of you, of your presence, your weightiness, calling me to step out, not in feelings, but in faith? Any thoughts, questions? All right. Well, amen.